0: Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever expanding service management maze. Well, hello once again. The excitement is almost unbearable. Here we are for episode 28 of the Enterprise Digital Podcast. My name is Barclay Ray, and not surprisingly, Joining me on the podcast is Ian Aitchison. Ian, what's new this Hello. week?
1: Well, good to be here once again, Barkley. I'm looking down at what's new this week. Uh, I can't touch the heady heights of looking at pets or the average time for animals to urinate or indeed varnishing wood. So I've got nothing that good. I, um, I'm still slightly business focused with today's news snippet. Today, an overload of digital tools is hindering productivity. Instead of making employees more productive, digital tools are slowing them down, says a recent survey of 500 HR decision makers and 2,000 workers in the UK and Ireland. So not going to dig into all the words there, but there is an interesting thing. We keep talking about technology transforming people's ability to work. I wonder how much it's also hindering people's ability to work. Too well, many I don't tools, know.
0: I've, I've, I've never found technology of any use or or any help and in, in it's baffling anything magic that, to
1: you isn't it Barclay? we know it's baffling
0: magic. witchcraft for me <laughs> I, I don't really understand it I switch this thing on and sometimes it works
1: wizards I believe we have a truly a, an industry wizard with us uh, as our guest this week Who
0: do we, have? We, we do indeed and to introduce our esteemed guest it's a uh, Kevin Smith Kevin J Smith good afternoon good morning good evening where, where, wherever in the world you are Kevin how are you
2: well, thank you very much. It's, it's great to be with you. As it turns out, it is morning. I'm at a, a mile high in elevation in Denver, Colorado. It's a pleasure to be with these two icons in the industry. Who's that? Then? Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Who else is on here? I didn't realize you were in Denver. <laughs> I, I know Denver quite well. So um, say hello to Denver. Great to have you on. And for those of you that, for those out there that might not have come across you before, just tell us a little bit about what you do and, and what you've, what you have done to get to where you are now, if you know what I mean? <laughs> uh,
2: I spent about 15 years at Avanti, a little more than 15 years, uh, and, uh, had the pleasure of working with Ian there for a while. We did a lot of really good things. Uh, one of the things that, uh, I had to do that I enjoyed most is working with a lot of, uh, global IT organizations and sister organizations. And for a period of time in helping them, Just be successful with, as you guys mentioned, uh, technology can be overwhelming. And I I had this idea that I'd really at some point like to focus on IT transformation and and service management. So uh, I did that two years ago. I started a company called the IT Transformation Institute, and now I do consulting engagements, advisory services engagements with VPs of IT, CIOs, sometimes directors of IT to either Normally, it's kind of an, a service management health check, service desk health check, or an IT transformation engagement. And then in my spare time, uh, I, I write books about uh, what I, I so admire, which is the world of IT, and just published my fourth book in that series on, I, I've described the series as just making, making IT better. Four books is showing off,
1: really, isn't it? One is a lifetime achievement in my mind to, to turn out four is pretty
2: spectacular. What are the titles of those four? Oh, wow. Now you're testing me. Um, yeah, so the first one was about service management. It was the, the practical guide to world-class IT service management. The second one was my first look at sort of the, the future of IT. Uh, what I did is I proposed a new agenda for IT. It was called the IT imperative. My third book was about how IT is going to influence the business, how by transforming IT, we will we will also transform the business and they will come together. We must come together. That was one, one uh, IT, one business. And then my new book is about the people of IT, which I think is the people have been ignored far too long or not placed at the top of our priority list. And that's called the humanity of IT. And yeah, and I've got, uh, you know, Plan to keep going uh, because, again, I think there's so much that needs to be discussed here.
0: Absolutely. Uh, well, we'll look forward to that discussion and interesting development in terms of the books and so on. We'll put information on that in, in, in the notes, I'm, I'm sure. But um, for now, thank you for for joining us, Kevin. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Okay, so we're all introduced, and Kevin, you worked for fifteen years with Ian, and you're still talking. You guys—that's that's that's amazing. The question, or I suppose, the challenge to start with, I, I think, really is—and as you know, this podcast we are talking about service management beyond IT. I guess and you're working with CIOs and and CTOs, and and giving them advice. First of all, do do you are you seeing more of this kind of enterprise approach beyond IT? Is is that a real thing for you? I mean, let's let's start with that. And and, and what what do you think is the kind of value proposition for that?
2: Absolutely. And at the same time, not. And let me explain that. So the work is absolutely happening. This is a priority. It's a priority in the way that, uh, you know, the IT leadership thinks of it is helping their business partners improve the quality of service to the business. We had this desire for some reason to put terminology on things or to name things. And I don't think people are calling it. What I'm saying is people are not calling it ESM. People don't call it enterprise service management. Their understanding, their fundamental desire is to help the business receive service more effectively. Their desire is to deliver service better, to make that more structured, to make it more consistent to leverage best practices outside of IT, that is where people's heads start to nod. But if you said, I think if you said ESM to the to the average CIO or VP of IT, they have no idea what you're talking about. But then if you explain it, they're like, you know, thumbs up.
0: Yeah, we agree. I mean, we've, we've, we've had that conversation that enterprise service management is, is an IT invention as, as a name. But in terms of the work and the, if you like, the spread of... Good practice and experience and knowledge that we've built around service management are you seeing that being applied in you know beyond simply the it organization
2: well we don't always you know Barkley and Ian we don't always recognize it but i t has sort of been through this this you know uh, baptism by fire in the last ten years and and come under received incredible attention we've been uh, it's been demanded of the IT organization that we leverage best practices, we use these frameworks, we have these incredible resources like ISO and COBIT, and we're leveraging Lean, we're leveraging Agile, we're leveraging ITIL. And by the way, I, I don't think any of those is stands above the rest. I think they all have a place and they all add value. And and w- whether we realize it or not, uh, the IT organization has gotten pretty good at the structure and workflow and business process and delivering services and meeting requests. And the rest of the business, again, my view is it has been somewhat stagnant and is not as mature in, in particular in managing services and delivering services. And what's happening is these business partners and pick your favorite organization and could be sales, could be marketing, could be HR, could be facilities, could be R and D. They're turning to IT and saying, "You guys seem like you've got this figured out. You, you seems like you're doing it pretty well, and you have some pretty cool tools to help you do it. Can you help us? Because we have a mess on our hands, and we have no idea what to that's do. interesting, Try Kevin. Because
1: you've approached that description from the other parts of the business coming to IT, saying you guys have worked it out, and IT has, as you said, baptism of baptism by fire over many years." IT's worked out the way to do these things and the rest of the business always comes knocking on the door saying, help us. Is, well, is I that think what when, you you
2: have, when you have a case where the CIO, for example, could, be, could have a vision and could be proactive, they do go to the business and say, I'd like to help you. I think I can help you. In other cases, the business is coming to IT and saying, hey, you guys have these, you know, we notice you're doing these things. You have these tools. You know, we've, we we've heard at a staff meeting, you're now offering a service catalog. We, w- we would really like to get your help. I think it happens both ways, Ian, and both ways can lead to success. Mm-hmm. And we like to be proactive, and, and I think the, the best organizations are being proactive, but it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes they come knocking on ITs. An interesting
1: question around that as well is, you mentioned tools there, and we've had different comments back in the this podcast series, as we've talked about this, where the the tool drives the success of wider service management adoption or whether actually the tool is in irrelevance and what drives it is the the mindset, the culture, the philosophy. Do you have any sort of views on that? Can this happen without a tool? Can this happen as long as you've got a tool, the rest doesn't matter?
2: I, I think that it can happen with only the most basic of tools because if you have a strategy... I like to see an organization having a strategy and having a set of goals and having a, a, an idea of what they want to achieve and fundamentally a desire to get better. Even with something as, as unglamorous as incident management, most organizations do incident management okay, pretty well. Most organizations aren't great at it. So even if something as unglamorous as incident management or you know managing tickets, you could do that really, really well. You could be great at it with just having the average tool, with only having basic tools. Now, once you're really good at it, if you do adopt a superior tool, there, there is an opportunity to get incrementally better. But you know, my, my view would be is that it starts with a desire. It starts with the organizational commitment. It starts with discipline and a strategy. And a tool. a tool is a tool is a tool. It's a hammer. And let's not make it any more glamorous than that.
0: From the tool perspective, because and not necessarily tool perspective, but certainly industry perspective, there's a challenge here because, you know, do we proactively as an industry, and we've all come from the IT part, do we go out and try and promote and sell this from the IT industry? And if so, who do we sell it to? Or do we just let it continue to happen? Because what you described is is, is absolutely right, and you know it kind of happens organically. Some places it's spotted by the internal departments. They go, "That oh, well, we want some of that," or in some cases you've got quite a proactive IT organisation that goes, "Look, we can do this," and 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 so on. But the challenge, I suppose, from from an industry perspective, is if you really want to turn that into something that we can scale and that we can work to in terms of standards and just doing. How do we do that? Do, do we try and target specific areas of, of, of an organization or do we rely on going through the IT channel to be able to do that? Every
2: organization can benefit from this. Uh, I, I have a client where they're, we're looking at finance because finance has such a relationship problem with the rest of the business. And they're just viewed as sort of the auditing function. And nobody wants to spend time with anybody from finance. But finance provides a critical function in terms of POs, issuing POs, you know, issuing departmental budgets, uh, approving expense reports, and all these things. And this organization wants to turn that around and make finance a provider of great service and a partner to the business and somebody that should be in lots of important business meetings and looking at the implications of how finance supports them whereas they're the last ones to get invited to any, <laughs> any of the meetings uh, today. And so I think every, you know, because we like to use the, the the typical traditional examples of HR, because that's an easy one. But but I think there's there's tremendous opportunity in finance and marketing and sales in these organizations that have a, you know, in some cases dysfunctional or, or challenged relationship with the rest of the business, because they don't know how to deliver their service.
0: Certainly seen... What we're talking about is not a new capability that, as you know, there's, you'll know from Avanti and, and, and others that, you know, there's many organizations have been using the tools in some way for some time. But, you know, we've seen over the years, different organizations try to, you know, shift towards a sales or marketing led approach to that which obviously means they need to look at a different way of getting the message out and using different language, different taxonomy, and so on. And that, that was where I was going with the question. Is is that, is that still something that, that vendors should be doing, or, or should they still be just be concentrating on you know getting the products out there through the IT or using the IT organization as the kind of vessel into the organization?
2: Because we're already there, um, it's a natural place to start. And using the IT as the vessel or as a launching pad, it's, it's very natural and it's, and it's easier. But I think that if you look at some organizations that are tool vendors that have become the standard in their market, try to not use any names here, but they have achieved that by not going after IT. They, they've achieved that broader penetration by going after the enterprise by going after the business and saying, and I'm thinking of two or three vendors in particular, they say, we will make your employees more productive every day. We'll make every employee a better worker and a more productive employee every day. We will change your business and we will bring your business into the future. We'll automate everything you do. We'll be your new platform for everything that happens, all the workflow that happens in your business every day. You know, very non-IQ.
0: Coming back to your point about humanity and so on, humanity and business, because that we've had a few different takes on that over this series, where we have people talking about AI making making us better people, and you know now you're talking about you know tools making making us work better, and making us more effective, and making our jobs more satisfying. I mean, again, is that have have we been focusing on the wrong things? If if you like by talking about standards and all that for years? And, 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 or is this really now the time, the right time to really be able to focus on the, the kind of human side of IT?
2: So Barclay, that's a, that's a great question. I do think there was a time, and let's say from 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago to 10 years ago, five years ago, there was a decade or so where the tools needed attention, where we needed best practices where we needed frameworks that gave us more consistency and many, you know, have risen during that time. But now that time has come, now the tools I think are diminishing returns. Uh, There's not a lot left there. You know, we we can wring a little bit more out of that towel, but now the great opportunity we have ahead of us is with our people and with our culture. Tools will not get us there. Tools help lift up our people. Tools are, uh, you know, a great assist, but, our next decade, I would paint it in terms of decades, the next decade has got to be about our culture and about our people. Do
1: you think, Kevin, with that focus on people, something we've commented a few times and observed is the increased focus on experience, on the human experience, trying to do your job, trying to do the work that needs to be done, which is... Um, and Barclay may throw things at me, but it's something which perhaps traditionally the frameworks and the, the early ITIL models didn't focus on too much. You know, there they they were more sort of service levels than experience levels. Yes. Do you see that sort of shift where maybe we are moving beyond the heavy framework, but with a laser focus on the person and the outcome of everything we do to make sure that they can have two or three less
2: clicks four or five seconds less delay uh, a better working experience absolutely absolutely and, and ian let me just take that a little bit further because i think you touched on something really important well, i, I described this as the happiness factor is if you make there are little things little things we can do every day to make a user happier and feel better about what they're doing and that is priceless that happiness factor is priceless. Because what happens then when you build a happy employee, what happens? They give a better service to a customer. It's contagious. Happiness is contagious. Being grumpy is contagious, (laughs) But, but being happy is just as contagious, if not more contagious. And what happens is that then happiness then leads to passion and passion leads to confidence. And all those things are this organic, as Barclay described, this organic change that happens. And, and ultimately the customer is the one that benefits. Yeah. And, and if you, you know, if we chose five words to describe IT traditionally, we would never use the word happy. We would never use the word passionate. We, you know, we 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 wouldn't use those words, but we have to use them in the future. And and I do think, I think you touched on something really, really important. If we make that user experience, even a little bit better, then it, it begins to bear all kinds of fruit for the whole business and ultimately the customer benefits. That's a great quote. Never mind COVID and the pandemic, it's
1: happiness that is contagious. And <laughs> I'd have to support that as well. You know, the people that you see in their work that are laughing and smiling and buoying other people up around them as they work physically or remotely bring an energy to work as well. I see that time and time again that. People that are enjoying what they do spread enjoyment around themselves and you know the rising and convers- tide
0: and conversely like- as, as as you say that you know if if you're grumpy like me then you bring everybody down around you and um yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that and so. it's you know the um the the thing that, that is interesting is let's tap into the culture our culture today for a moment covid COVID has, I believe, given us this incredible opportunity to realign our lives, not how we work, but to realign our lives. Because what happened when everybody got, when everybody transitioned from working in the office, this happened almost overnight. This is unprecedented in the history of modern business. We had virtually this overnight transition from being in the office to working at home. And what happened? We all went through the same thing. We all went home and said, what the hell am I gonna do now? Where am I gonna sit? How am I gonna do a call with a kid screaming? You know, what, how am I gonna be productive? And we were all scared and we went through this adjustment, but what happened? People, people figured out a way, people found a way. And most people, my experience has been talking to people, most people now feel like they're more productive in the new model than they were in the office because they made adjustments and as a benefit we now i think most people feel like they have a better life balance we're able to do me you know a few more things with our our significant other with our spouse with our kids with our parents whatever the case may be with our hobbies and yet still get our work done
0: well, or they have a better focus on what what they do because I, I would agree that the many people prefer you know the world now but there there are some who still do want to go and work in an office and we shouldn't forget that that particularly Thank younger you. people who who maybe have not had the life or work experience to engage with lots of people and need to go in you know and just need down. to work with people in, in order for that to 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 really to really land well, I mean just sort of in terms of looking forward on this and and you know I think uh, the thing you point about covid is well made that actually from the point of view of where IT and just talking about IT for a second sits and it's perception that, that has generally, I mean, 99% of organizations I've worked with in the last two years have all had a much improved perception from their users and customers because they've helped them out and they've stood up to the plate and all those kind of things. And in a way that they previously had been, you know, just the whipping boys and nobody liked them. So there's an opportunity to the window to kind of do something. What, what do we need to do? And, let, and let's just start with IT for now. What, what does IT need to do to improve its culture in the way that you've started to describe? And how might we then, and, and maybe what can we learn from the rest of the organization about how to how to work better?
2: Well, there are a few things. Uh, w- one thing is, is that we have to make IT a an exciting career path, an exciting career. We need to f- start by taking the stars the rock stars that we have in IT today. And we do have some of those, taking those and investing in those stars so they can see themselves in IT for the next 10 years. The second thing we need to do is we we need to be proactive in reaching out to the business because the business is hungry for that. The business is yearning for that. and, And we shouldn't wait for them to come knocking on the door. So IT should lead this proactive outreach to the business and say, how can I help you do your jobs better? It's a very simple conversation to have. Hey, we want to work with you to help you you and your organization be more productive every day. We're all in this together. And we think we bring some stuff to the table, some experience and some tools and some technology. And we know the data, you know, who, who knows the technology and data better than IT? Nobody does. And then, you know, and then I think we do need to change the culture. Uh, we, need to, we need to make IT more diverse. We need to hire, you know, different kinds of people. We need to have more women in IT. We need more creative skills. We need more customer-facing skills.
1: Yeah, that's certainly true. On on your second point there, I can imagine describing to maybe a CIO, you need to reach out to the business. You need to go and offer what, what you can do to help. And he'll say, but my organization, we are flat out busy. We are so busy. We are insanely busy just handling the volume of work that we have to do now. How can I make capacity to go out there and, and introduce ourselves and offer to do more when all we get is a fire hose of demand upon us that we struggle to keep up with now?
2: Yeah, that is a great point, Ian. And, what, and I just had this conversation with the CIO. And, and what the CIO does, that this is an opportunity to create a fundamentally different discussion with the CFO and with the CEO. And so the CIO can go to the CEO and say, I have, I have this vision I wanna to talk to you about and share with you. I think we can do the following things to benefit all of the business. And I wanna be proactive in doing that, but in doing that, it's gonna create some resource challenges. The CEO is gonna get that. And then you go to the CFO with a whole new value proposition. You're not just trying to get you know one backfill because you have somebody leave the organization you're going, to, you're going to add staff or invest in infrastructure in order to accomplish the following goals with your business partners. It's a, it's, a, it's a proactive discussion with the CEO and the CFO, maybe the COO specifically, not a reactive discussion where the CEO hits the CIO over the hammer because there was an outage last week and the CEO got a phone call from two big customers. That is not the conversation we want to have. We want to have a conversation about how we go to, you know, 99.999, whatever you want to call it, hundred percent availability next year and how we improve service and finance and marketing and sales. And this is how we're going to do it.
1: And, And to paraphrase or summarize how we do it is by investing into the service providing organization, in this case, into it, hire some rock stars, take on more people. So
2: we, can cope with the volume of work and reach out amen amen and it and it is whether we recognize it or not i i would still put out there for you know a spirited debate over dinner that it is the hub of the wheel it is the hub of the business wheel because everything today in business is so dependent on technology and data and infrastructure that when that is performing well the business can be at its best the business can can focus on what's most important serving customers right innovating developing new products and so let's let's focus on that the hub of the wheel and and keep it make it great so the business can be great and i would propose in this world of today lessons learned by you know the, all the examples we know sears and toys r us and and Kmart that if you don't get the technology thing figured out, if you don't get the, you know, the, 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 the global marketplace figured out, the business is going to, it's not just going to struggle, the business is going to fail.
1: And, and that is digital transformation by yeah. another name, right? That is take advantage of the latest technology to change your business but also, I guess, to change how people work. We, we come back around this a few times as well, that the technology enables us to do work across a business differently and better and smoother and easier, unless it's like my example at the start, where in some cases it's a barrier.
2: And, and IT can be the genesis of that. Why, why should IT wait for the business to come with, a, with an emergency or to hitting, you know, banging on the door of IT saying, we got all these problems we've got to fix. IT needs to get ahead of that, and IT can get ahead of it, but it's never been our mindset. Our thirty-year culture in IT is is being reactive. Yeah. We just fix stuff that breaks. You know, we keep the lights on. That's what we do. That's what we've always done. That guy that trained me, that's what he told me my first day. Your job is to make sure something to, you know a server doesn't go down. Your job is to make sure you know if something breaks, we fix it. We need to we need to shift that that mindset.
0: So so just taking that to sort of conclusion then. I mean, and and what we're talking about culture, and we're talking about like your point about diversity, and that's not just gender or ethnicity or whatever. It's, it's also about different types of people, presumably. It's about yeah. people who are, you know, because, we, you know, we're not just talking about people who, who are primarily with a technical focus. We need people who've got business focus, people who've got a communications focus, and you know, all those kind of things, and actually maybe are specialists in some of the other disciplines beyond what so what do we need to do to to transform our finally our industry to be, to to get that better? Do you think that we're not currently doing?
2: Well, well, what I recommend is is that you, I, it can't go to the business and say, "Hey, I, I need to be more diverse and I need to hire ten people that are very different than what we've had in the past." You you do this one baby step at a time, and so if you do get a chance to backfill a, a position. Take a different view, take a different approach to that backfill. Don't just go get the same kind of person that left, the organization, get somebody who can, who can fundamentally begin to change, get somebody with a different background, get, and, and it's all Barclay. I love that it is, it is gender. It is ethnicity. It is experience. It is academic training. It's all aptitude. It's all those things. Use every backfill as an opportunity to bring a new kind of person with a, a new, fresh perspective into the organization, and that's that's how we can do it organically. And then, as IT begins to get some traction and begins to have more of an impact, you know, we might get the opportunity to add resources like we were talking about earlier. If IT has a vision that the CFO buys into and is starting to impact other organizations and bringing more value, we might have. The, the exciting opportunity of adding resources. But every hire, every hire should be viewed differently and be supported by a different profile. One cool. step at a time, one baby steps, we can work miracles.
0: So that's a really good point to just to sort of end up on there. I think, you know, that we've got the opportunity, any opportunity we have to bring in different types of people. It's a really great point um, to end on. And thank you for the, the discussion, uh, Kevin, on that is a really good focus on people and humanity as well. How do people get hold of you? What's the, where, where do they find you these days? Well, you can, uh,
2: you can find my company at ittransformationinstitute.com. Uh, We have resources on there and uh, some, some interesting content. My books are all on Amazon. Uh, You can just search on Kevin J. Smith. Uh, I have a long lost brother named Kevin Smith who happens to produce films. Uh, So if you just do Kevin Smith, you'll probably see some things from uh, on his films, but Kevin J. Smith, you'll see my books. You can find them on there on Barnes and Noble as well. You can contact me if you want to talk, you want some feedback, you want to know more about how we might be able to help, you can contact me through the website. We also do a free assessment. If you're thrifty and don't want to spend any money, happy to talk to you about how we might be able to help you get better.
0: Okay, that's great. Thank you for that. We'll put that in the notes as well. I know they're really important stuff, never mind all this stuff about technology and humanity and everything. What about um, Ian's signature question to ask?
1: Actually, I'm still chuckling over the use of the word thrifty there. I think that's just a great it's a great word. Uh,
0: um, before I ask you the big question. Nothing I'll- wrong with thrift, Ian. Yeah, thrift is a good thing, particularly is. where I come from.
1: <laughs> it's it's deep in your roots, Barclay, I'm sure. Before I come to the big question, I wanted to check something with you, Kevin. I've got, I must confess, one of your books here in my hand. And it clearly says on the back that you spent the first 10 years of your career at NASA.
2: You get that very quiet, didn't you? Bit of a rocket uh, I do, yes. Yeah. And that was, that was a great, that was a great thing. I was a 21 year old engineer right out of uh, university and uh, went to NASA, the Johnson space center in Houston and got to work uh, on the shuttle program and got to work for Gene Kranz, who was a remarkable visionary. I sat right across the hall from him and uh, listened to him, you know, play his, his uh, patriotic music at the beginning of every day. But yeah, I spent, I spent 10 years there from there, went in, went into uh, it through some, Crazy turn of events, but yes.
1: So we, sh- we should also keep a list of where people have worked previously because last week we were talking with Shane, who uh, used to be a prison guard. So we've got a rocket scientist <laughs> and a prison guard. It's great. There are so many good things. Right. To so the big question, though, Kevin, they're the main headline of the whole event, everybody knows this one. You're at the bar. What would be your drink of choice, if you like, your recommendation to our listener? maybe two of them now, what would you recommend they have as the Kevin J. Smith signature drink?
2: So I have gained an appreciation for the wonderful art and science of uh, whiskey. And in particular, bourbon, which is an American whiskey. I know there are wonderful variations and how important it is to take that in in a way that you can be fully appreciated. So it would be Booker's bourbon, Current favorite of mine, neat at room temperature, and, and a proper whiskey glass, no Excellent. ice, no yeah. water, room yeah. temperature, perfect the way it is.
1: In a darkened room, with the velvet curtains closed, and what would be playing on that uh,
2: on that stereo in the room? Oh, uh, Frankie Valley. Frankie Valley.
1: There we go. Excellent. Uh, so we're opening up
2: maybe CCR. If I'm feeling a little more energized, but uh, okay, good tips, like
0: excellent. Thank you. Right, we'll- Silver star. Yeah, um, yeah you're almost correct there on the on on the whiskey, no ice, but, thank you, and bro. all that kind of stuff. I, I do even as I, I don't really drink that much whiskey, but even although I, I come from where it's where it's originated, but I, I really do like bourbon actually, so I need to try that one as well. Thank you very much. um my pleasure. Uh, it's been great. We, we've had some really good focus there, and, and a really good level of conversation. So, um, Kevin, thanks very much for joining us, and we hope to see you sometime soon um, in a place where we can maybe have that glass of bourbon and um, share a few to. other share a few NASA and uh, stories. That would be interesting, definitely. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for that, Ian. Thanks as ever. We'll speak to you soon, and thanks everybody for listening. See you next time on the Enterprise Podcast. Thank you. All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks again.